you know, I think about institutions in a society and I think sports are an institution that are a battlefield and, and I, I don't think we should turn away from that battlefield because I think there is like some authentically um, good things, some liberatory things within sports. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. All right, here we are at it again. Bob and Dave coming at you for another episode. How you doing, Bobo? I'm doing well, Dave. It's uh first time we're recording in the afternoon see how that goes um but yeah i'm feeling all right how about you dude yeah i think on our last episode um it was promised that i would take an afternoon nap and i just got up from an afternoon nap and i'm feeling ready to go my energy is coming back to me tenfold and let's go attack that day with a episode of thriving in dystopia podcast babo yay and attack that podcast yeah, so yeah. Um, so much going on in the world right now, um, and yeah, you know, the protests continue, and we're in the midst of so much change, hopefully, um, but yeah, how are you, Dave, and what, what have you been thinking about and been up to? Yeah, it's been uh, very intense last week. But I feel like when we were recording last week, I was feeling pretty depressed and pretty sad and pretty angry. But today, as we're sitting here recording, I've been filled with so much hope over the last week. And one of the things that's been coming up for me is this idea of an echo chamber. A lot of people have talked about when they're using social media, they have this fear that whatever they're saying is just getting echoed back to them and it's nothing's really getting done because we or people in their immediate circles share the same ideas. So it's not really affecting social change, but I really want to go against that idea. I want to say that that idea feels like I understand where it's coming from, but I have felt this over the last week my social media has done wonders for my hope, partially because I've felt my social media change in a dramatic way where um, everybody that I know is posting radical ideas, everyone that I know is posting very worthy news, and everyone I know is using their social media to affect change. And that's been huge for me to see because even though I know that people in my immediate circles, they um, share very similar viewpoints to me, the what's been coming back to me has been messages of hope and messages that they're, that I'm not out there alone, that I'm not just speaking, that we're not just doing this podcast alone, Bob, that there are other people out there that are um, up for, up for creating this revolution that we've been talking about and up for creating social change in a way that feels dramatic. And um, yeah, so this echo chamber idea, not only that, it feels like I know that there's some people that might be on the fence. Um, they might be, here's a good example. They might be like in 
defense of black lives, but they might also think that looting is something that is reprehensible. And um, when those two ideas come together, they, they create this dissonance in a person. Right. And I feel that I, I'm not pro looting, but I think that that is like smoke and mirrors as to what's really happening. And I think what we really need to be addressing is the fact that black people have been in slavery or oppressed for over 400 years in this country. And I want, I want that to be the main topic. And I feel like as I'm looking through my social media feed and I'm feeling that everybody is on the same page as me, it feels really just so good to me. And yeah, I think that's, that's really, I know that there's a lot going on there, but I really want to just tell people out there that what you've, what I've been given back from you all this week has been so good. And I, I hope that I can keep that up and I hope that you can keep that up too, because I feel like this is a big moment of change. Yeah. And I'm hearing in there that some of the feedback to the podcast has been uplifting for you and it has for me too. And just people tell us what they like or what they don't like or what they, it makes them think about. It feels like uh, just connecting, like that we're more connected with more people. And I love that. It's um, what you were talking about sort of makes me think about like things are different in this in you know, like the last couple of weeks. There's, you know, the conversations are different. The news is different. And then what's happening in the world. And I, I think it's, um, it's like legitimate to call this like a revolutionary moment where possibilities are opened. Um, and, you know, ideas that seemed um, just like a dream or extremist, even like a couple of weeks ago are now possible. And I think Naomi Klein has a quote around that, like in times of crisis, like it's um, the ideas um, that are laying around can sort of define what comes out of the crisis. So this is one of the ideas that has been here for a long time, but was sort of in the margins was this idea of um, defunding the police. And mm -hmm. so I've been doing a lot of research on that. And um, you and I talked about like that there's so much there that we want to have a whole show on that. So we, we might have that next week or in the future, but I um, yeah, that for example, the news that the Minnesota city council, sorry, the Minneapolis city council is moving towards dismantling the police department is honestly something I really didn't think I'd see in my lifetime. So yeah, I, I find a lot of hope. And then the thing that I keep thinking about is, okay, yeah. Um, in this moment we have hope for change, but things will change and the news will shift. So how do people stay committed? You know, how do we make deeper commitments? And um, especially, I mean, white people um, who are, you know, very well-intended folks like you and you and me, how do we really make a deep commitment to do this work, 
you know, a few weeks or months when the news stories are different, you know, and so I want us to be thinking about that. I know one way to do that is to um, get get involved in projects or um, start a book that will just keep you grounded and coming back to the work of racial justice. Um, and so, yeah, maybe we could provide some some books in the uh, show notes. One that comes to mind is like How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibrahim Kendi. Um, and another one is, so you want to talk about race and I can't remember her name right now, but I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we have to be able to continue this work even when it's not in the news or even when people are not in the streets. Another book that's come to my mind too is the new Jim Crow Law. We read it as a book club a few years ago. Um, it's by Michelle Alexander. And I noticed in the John Oliver piece that he quoted it. And it is a very important book to read because it really highlights um, the prison industrial complex as being the new Jim Crow. And it was a book that really affected me in a lot of ways. So it was cool to see that um, on John Oliver's screen last night. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, I did. And I loved that John Oliver was, uh, you know, citing uh, the new Jim Crow as a key reference, you know, um, and really grounded his show and, you know, one of his best shows ever, really. Yeah, yeah, I would say that the work he's done um, has really affected me over the last five years. And I know we've already talked about him, but it is super worth watching last night's John Oliver on, um, I think it's just called the police. Is that right, Bob? Yeah, I think so. Because it takes what I'm feeling and, and what a lot of us have been feeling and backs it up with a lot of really great references. And it felt like one of the most important news pieces that I've watched or listened to um, since, well, really since Black Lives Matter movement has started, but also since the pandemic started. So I think it's highly, highly um, worth watching. Yeah. In fact, you should probably just shut this podcast off now and go watch that because that's way more important than what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, although I think we can, you know, connect some of the dots of talking about our theme today to the overall so social context and climate right now. Yeah. Nice. I think, bef I think we're both ready to transition into the theme of the day, which is sports. But I also want to, you hit a little bit on defunding the police. And I think it'd be really interesting to make that a show topic for next week. And I think maybe finding some practical ideas to bring to the table on how we can help support that movement. Because I feel like that is something that I've, I've talked with a lot of people about, but um, maybe, yeah, just if you have some ideas out there, if, if you're listening to this about how we can really accomplish defunding the police, then um, hit, hit us up with an email or a Marco Polo or a Twitter or whatever you need to, because it'd be interesting to keep that conversation going about practical ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I've started a database of tracking where um, defunding is happening across the US. So um, yeah, that'd also be useful for me to tracking all the places and successes and, and all that. So 
yeah, please, please let us know. Yeah. And you can let us know after we do next week's episode. I think it's a, a great conversation piece. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up. If you have some ideas that you want us to incorporate into the show before we do it next week, it'd be great. So without further ado, let's let's talk a little bit about sports, don't you think, Bob? Yeah, we wanted to bring up the t- topic of sports and dystopia. Um, and there's a lot to talk about here, actually. Um, I was curious, I think the original idea, at least I think we kind of both independently had it, but where, where does this idea come for you, Dave, to do a show on sports? Well, yeah, a a few different spots. One is that it has been like, as this podcast connects you and I and connects us to the greater world, um, I feel like you and I oftentimes will find ourselves talking about sports and sports games and teams that we follow that we both love uh, because it's been such a big part of our life. And I think we want this show to hit on a lot of parts of our life that we find important that we want to share with the world, but also just to share with each other. So I feel like you can't talk about you, Bob and Dave without talking about sports because it's affected us so strongly over the years. Sure has. Yeah. I mean, like I, I do identify as like a sports addict. Um, So when the pandemic hit, um, you know, the first, the time that I found or like a moment that really hit me was when the NCAA came out with the announcement that they were canceling March Madness, um, the, the, you know, yearly tournament. And that really clued me into like, whoa, this is huge. Um, and then, you know, like the NBA has, it's been on hiatus, although they want to try to have their playoffs. And then Major League Baseball also has been in stagnation, you know, uh, canceling the first few months of the season, but then also not, not, you know, knowing whether they will have a season this year. So all that has also meant like I've had to fill in my life in, in ways where those sports were a companion for me. So, yeah, that's a yeah. part of it as well. Yeah, that's true. I'm remembering that you and I were planning a trip over spring break. We were going to get together this year and I wasn't, I didn't even think about canceling it until the NCAA canceled the tournament. So when March madness got canceled, I said, well, man, if they're canceling the tournament, then how can Bob and I think that we should have a trip together? So that was like a kind of a wake up call for me too, which is interesting. As you say that it brings me back to that moment as well, mid-March, you know? Right, exactly. And part of that trip was to go to spring training in Arizona. So uh, there it is again with some sports. Yeah, exactly. So it just kind of has like touched our lives in a lot of ways. Um, But I think one of the biggest questions that's going to be driving our show today is the idea of how to be, how, how can you be radical or how can you be an activist and still maintain a sports identity? Yeah. Um, Because there is a dissonance there, right? Yeah, I think there really is. You know, I have certainly felt that dissonance in my life um, on several occasions where I felt like I should turn my back on sports and like give it up because it was a lost cause. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, the context of sports is one in which, you know, the one that we're talking about is um, we can see sports clearly um, becoming more and more corporate with more and more, um, you know, that it's about a, being a, in a business and that money drives sports. And we can also see all the power dynamics in sports and how ugly it is. Um, seeing the ways that toxic masculinity shows up in sports, seeing the way that racism is cut through sports. And so, you know, if we are look, it, it's in many ways a really awful area or industry. Um, so those are the dynamics that you and I are talking about, like, okay, like this is so much oppression and violence connected to sports. So how how can we justify being a fan and like giving money or giving our attention to these industries that that's a central question I think that you're asking. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you and I in particular, we, one of our, we share all the same fandom more or less because we grew up together and it is a big piece of why we're fans. We, um, I'm a fan of the teams that our dad taught us to be a fan of. Right. And I'm yes. also a fan of the teams that we are fans of because I wanted to be closer to you. And it has acted in a similar way that you delve deeper into sports too, to get closer to me and mom and our family. And it's been this um, sort of the cycle that you've talked about in the past where it's like, we're delving deeper into this fandom because it brings us closer together as a family. And I kind of wanted to share this story about the last live game that I went to. And it's a, it's, it's kind of a powerful, it was a powerful moment for me. And that's kind of why I wanted to share it with you and with everybody else. Um, because it also speaks a little bit to why, like how deep sports have affected you and I, um, we were passing through Cleveland and one of the sports teams that we're a big fan of is the Cleveland baseball team. And we stopped off because I, even though we've been watching Cleveland sports since we were young boys, I neither of us have ever seen um, a Cleveland team play in Cleveland. And I felt like I had this really unique opportunity to be in Cleveland um, while it was a pivotal moment too in the series last year. Um, the Cleveland baseball team was playing the twins and it was a moment where if we did well against the twins, we could narrow the lead and sort of make a play for the playoffs. It was pretty late in the season. And so Julie and I, we were traveling through Cleveland and we bought tickets to go to um, progressive field and without even knowing I bought tickets to be sort of right in front of um, this guy. His name is John Adams. And anyone that's a fan of the Cleveland baseball team knows that anytime there's like two outs or um, a rally going, I think two men on base, John Adams will play this big drum and he'll sort of hit it. Um, and he's been to something like 20 years of consecutive games. And it was great. The moment I noticed that John Adams was there, I looked up and I just started crying because it 
meant um, that I was connecting with our dad who passed away eight years ago. And I just thought of all the moments of watching Cleveland make playoff runs and us watching on TV or listening to on the radio way back in the 90s when we would just listen to Cleveland sports announcers and you'd hear that drum and it felt like this moment where I was transported from present day 2019 to go all the way back into the 90s and feel this drum that was connecting these two worlds and I could feel that I was like there as the first member of our family to be at Progressive Field to watch a game and I was like wow we have there's probably hasn't been um, a Maisler at a Cleveland baseball team game since like the 1940s. And I just like was overcome by emotion. And yeah, just to let you guys know, um, it started raining dramatically and they ended up calling the game and we got rained out and we ended up playing a double header the next day and the twins swept Cleveland. And it was basically the end of our season, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, it was a powerful day for me. And I was like, so glad to be there. Yeah. I mean, like I was calling you and I was like listening to that game and just, you know, like living through you that you were there. And um, yeah, I felt like I was there too. I, it, it just meant a lot. And, you know, obviously it has so much to do with our dad who, like you said, um, passed eight years ago. And um, I think, you know, after he passed, I had a few years of just being in, in limbo. But in the last couple of years, I've really like felt connected to the teams that he was connected to. And um, so I, it's, it is this like spirit. And, you know, we should mention like for folks who don't know it, that the baseball team um, has a racist um, mascot and that is you know actually something that you and I were not always aware of like growing up I I liked that mascot um, and it was it wasn't until going to a game in Oakland where Cleveland came to town where there was protesters indigenous protesters where I was like oh my god this this is a defensive mascot and um, and so the question is like, how do we, how do we, you know, support this team? And it's a real question. I don't think there's a, a right answer. I, I think it's really important for us to name that we want that mascot removed and, um, and fight for that, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, we've done certain things over the years. It's, um, you know, I, I wrote the, um, the organization, a, a passionate letter and, you know, we, we did like this, um, dramatization of sending all our old pair of like, uh, fan stuff, memorabilia back to the organization. And, um, I don't think that's enough. I think we definitely need to be doing more, but I think it's really important to be very loud about our, our disapproval, um, while at the same time. You know, actually, I think for a few years, I, I did try to be a fan of other teams, but it just like absolutely didn't work. You know, it's like once you're a fan, especially when you're a fan for a couple of decades, that's 
uh, like a deep piece of who you are. Um, so, um, yeah, they, I, it's, it's a tough question, but, um, an important one. And I, I think it's a call call to action. Yeah. One of the things that's come up for me as I've been thinking about it is it's kind of like, it's at this emotional core, right? Being a fan of the Cleveland baseball team is just like such a piece of a connection for our family. And I can just like feel the memories that have built up over the years because of this. And I think that you're exactly right. What we need to do is we need to be critical of the team and the franchise and basically all of sportsdom because like regardless of whatever team it is, there's some amount of corruption that's going into it. And I think that we as fans have a lot of power to help create change. And what, what I kind of liken it to is like, I didn't choose to be born in the United States and I didn't choose to be born a white male, but I, I think what I need to do is I need to use that happenstance to create the change that I want to see in the world. And there's a author that I used to read. Her name's Arundhati Roy. And she said that people that are born in the U S they have the keys to the empire. They have the keys and they need to do the, the work that needs to be done to create that change because people, she's from India and she says people in India, we don't have the same power that you have. We don't have the same power to create dramatic and global change. And so what you need to do is you have those keys and you need to use the keys. And I kind of feel that way about being a fan of Cleveland sports is like, I, I didn't choose to be, to grow up that way. I didn't choose to be a fan of the Cleveland baseball team, you know, but I think I need to use the fact that I am a fan. I need to use that and I need to use it to create this change that I'm hoping to see. And I remember when you wrote that letter to the organization and you, I think you sent it to the Cleveland plane dealer as an op-ed letter. And I don't think that they ended up printing it, but I felt really like proud of you for doing that. And when we cut off all the racist symbols on our paraphernalia, that felt really good. Yeah. I thought that was a great start. And yeah, I like your metaphor and because sports, I think ultimately if one is a fan, then to turn away from that is to lose power um, because sports have a tremendous amount of power in society. And mm-hmm. I think those channels of power can be used positively. I know they can um, because I mean, look at Colin Kaepernick, for example, um, his protests have been extremely powerful um, and um he's used his power within the world of sports to, um, you know, shift consciousness and to protest and to use his money to invest in communities. And, um, you know, he's a black man. Um, so like white people, men in sports have so much access, um, and they, um, we ought to be using that to do exactly what you're talking about to, to create openings and to create transformations and, and actually like white, white people in sports really need to be standing up, um, and being very vocal about, um, 
support for Black Lives Matter and support for um, abolishing patriarchy and, and all forms of oppression within sports. Um, because, you know, I also know that sports, um, you know, some people don't care for sports and that that's great. Um, but other people, you know, young people who are of all genders and all races are into sports. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, I think about institutions in a society and I think sports are an institution that are a battlefield and, and I, I don't think we should turn away from that battlefield because I think there is like some authentically, um, good things, some liberatory things within sports. Um, you know, Muhammad Ali comes to mind or, um, you know, Selena, uh, so, sorry, Serena Williams and tons of amazing people who have used sports to like contribute to, um, a more loving and liberatory society. Yeah. Hmm. And I also feel like that idea is true of anyone that's um, famous is that they they are a talking piece, right? Like I saw some really cool tweets from Alex Morgan and I just know how many, um, being a teacher, how many young girls look up to Alex Morgan and watching, seeing some of her like great, sorry, they weren't tweets, they were Instagram um, feeds, but like seeing that she's like really in support of the black lives matter movement that's going on feels like really cool to like, be like, yeah, you know, like it's, it's empowering just to know like how many people are looking up to her. And when, when you see that, when people take a stance like Muhammad Ali did or Kaepernick or Richard Sherman comes to mind for me too. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's just so powerful the effect that they can have. And I think like you can take these two, Two men, for example, you have on one hand, you have Michael Jordan, who is this great basketball player with great um, influence over the world. And then uh, on the other hand, you have LeBron James, who sort of has been seen as the successor to Michael Jordan. And um, they're both, I mean, we could argue this for a while, but they're both known as the greatest of all time in basketball. And you look at a lot of the work that LeBron has done in Ohio, setting up schools and using his uh, money to create great and dramatic change in Ohio. It's not the same for what Michael Jordan's done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thinking about Jordan, um, like when he was at his height of power, he like always rejected saying anything that could even be remotely construed as political. Um and he, um, you know, tailored an image for himself that was very palatable to like the widest audience possible. And, um, you know, he's, he's probably most known for, for, I mean, basketball, but also selling shoes, um, where LeBron never shies away from speaking out politically. And, um, you know, I think LeBron's really well known for for that for being a real like one of the strongest activists within the nba and you know one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest so that's a you know you know people come from different places but to contrast like what can be done with sports um and and appreciate lebron james for what he's done i feel like too 
I heard that this week that Roger Goodell sort of took a different stance because um, Roger Goodell is a commissioner of the NFL and he made a statement sort of apologizing for what happened with Kaepernick, even though he didn't directly um, call out Kaepernick's name. Yeah, for me, it was like too little. Like it's nice that mm-hmm. there's like a little bit of a tone switch in the NFL, but um it's it, you know and so it's something but it it definitely doesn't go far enough and um the fact that he didn't apologize to Kaepernick that felt like a failure to me yeah yeah mhm yeah i feel like these are the it's the moments of like are you jumping on the bandwagon to save face or right. are you pushing pushing forward to help create dramatic change in the world. And it's a fine line. And I kind of felt that that same way too. I just wanted to bring that up because I feel like we've been talking about Kaepernick a little bit here. So wanted to, I, I agree with you, Bob, that's exactly how I felt about it. Yeah. And I'm curious about, you know, since sports have sort of been canceled, what you've been up to, to fill, to fill that void. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit of what we've been getting into because that void has been real for both of us. Um, I think first and foremost, I have been watching the Marble Olympics and loving it. And I just wanted, for those of you who haven't watched it, you should check it out. Um, the commentator by Greg, the commentation um, by Greg Woods is amazing. Um, he, kind of takes the feeling of sports and puts it towards this silly marble marble runs. And it just kind of like makes you smile because you know that in your heart of hearts that this is just a couple of marbles going down a track. But as you watch, as I've watched more and more of it, I've, I decided early on that I really wanted to be a, a fan of the hazers um, just because I wanted to pick a team. I was like, let's just pick a team and see if I can like create, fanhood from it and it's been a lot of fun rooting for uh hashtag haze amaze and been loving it and it's been also interesting to watch there's certain marble teams that are very dominant and i feel like you and i have always rooted for underdog type of teams and i just find myself hating some of these dominant teams like i i just do not like the crazy cat cat's eyes marble team they are just uh i don't know why they just win everything and it just frustrates me and yeah in the sand rally marbles uh there's this red number three and he is a great marble but he just destroys across the board and even though he's very well liked as a marble um i do not like him whatsoever because he has won way too many sand rallies oh i love that yeah i two things that I wanted to say about that is the first is like, it's great. And then it shows us like the psychology of sports and, you know, you're rooting for an arbitrary set of marbles. And actually that's no, no different from um, sports in general. I mean, I guess it's a little bit different. People might have some connection to a team, but for example, I've not, I've never met anyone on the Cleveland baseball team and you know how they do and rooting for them so much, like why that yeah, doesn't really, yeah. really make sense. Um, so, but it does when we think about, um, the psychology of it. 
Yeah, exactly. And then building community around that. So, um, and the second thing is, yeah, you, you mentioned like it shows your own values and which teams you pick. And, um, that's always a chicken or egg thing for me with, uh, Cleveland. Um, you know, like, do I like Cleveland because I like the underdog or in liking Cleveland my whole life does that set me up to like the underdog because, um, yeah, if people don't know this, Cleveland is uh, definitely a city with the most tragedy oh, tragic. in terms of like, it's tragic. Yeah. <laughs> like all, all, all three major sports teams, the basketball team, football team, and baseball team have like incredible stories of loss and coming close and franchises moving. It's like amazing amount of, yeah, tragedy and pain. Um and, you know, in some ways that sucks, but in other ways it's like, um, I've, I like that, you know, I like being in the underdog position. Um, and that has actually, you know, I think helped me learn about social justice and, mm-hmm. you know, the power, you know, power dynamics and, um, I don't know. I think it just conditioned me to be a little bit more thinking about like the grassroots and who, who doesn't have power. Um, so uh, yeah, but who knows, maybe, maybe it's actually not true that way, but that does bring up what I've been doing. And, um, yeah, I'm curious what, what have you been getting your fix in? Yeah, it's, you know, started, I saw in different sports sites, like, rehashing old seasons or old moments you know like espn did like the last dance with michael jordan and so i just started following my favorite quarterback when i was a a boy bernie kozar and he tweets out these like little highlights from the 1980s and i was like oh wow that's cool um and i got more and more into it and I started YouTubing and and they actually have these like recap seasons through NFL films of each season. Um, and I, I was so curious because part of this was, you know, mythology or lore, you know, dad would talk about these seasons, but we were too young to ever have seen them. And then some of the other seasons were the first seasons that I'd ever seen in sports, you know, like 1989, 88. I remember, some of those seasons. And so um, transported back into that era. And yeah, it just brings up some really interesting things about like, um, why, you know, for one thing, it I'm flashback to like, oh, yeah, I remember watching this and being in third grade and talking about this with Kenny Giese. Um, So that's interesting. Right. But also like, yeah, how, how did these moments shape us? And, you know, for example, when the Browns moved in this awful move by their owner. Um, oh man. What was like, that? 95? Yeah, it was 97. in 90. No, no. 95 after the 95 season, like um, what, how did that affect us? And um, yeah. So I, I think other sports fans out there watching these old, like your first moments with a team can bring back a lot of emotion and in interesting ways. Um, sort of like who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I'm also just like thinking, as you mentioned, Bernie Kozar, uh, quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. 
And I think about your Twitter Twitter handle, bmaze19. The only reason it's 19 is because Bernie Kosar wore 19. And it's That's right. Like, it's pretty intense to think about how like the power of sports and also the power we let it have on us. But um, I think it's it's an important thing to be cognizant of because I feel like if there's like such power in this in this realm, it's important to like pay attention to it rather than ignore it and just like be passive with it. Like let the the power of this emotional connection that has been brought up like so many times over this episode, how we are so connected emotionally to these teams and these moments in sportsdom. And because that emotional connection is so powerful and it's, it makes us into the people that we are. And it's incredible to think that you are an, a fan of the underdog and maybe the whole reason you are doing the work you're doing is because you're a fan of the Cleveland baseball team and the Cleveland Browns. It's just like, yep. wow, what if that's true? I mean, I think there's a piece of it that feels true to me when I hear that at the very least. Yeah. I mean, like the contrast when I was in elementary school was we grew up in Colorado. So John Elway um, was the hero and the Broncos ended up being the Browns in three AFC championship games in that, in the eighties. So it was like John Elway. I mean, he had a rocket arm. So he's just like, he was portrayed as a God and yeah. Um, Bernie Kosar is known for his like unorthodox, like kind of ugly throw. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I really identified with like that ugly, but effective um, and like always struggle. And even though the God of John Elway like beat us there you know we could always try to come back and like find a way to like beat John Elway the next season (laughs) Mm. (laughs) yeah it never happened did it Bob (laughs) no it didn't um but Uh, yeah so I one other way I'm getting my sports fixes I've been watching a YouTube channel called Jimmy High Roller and he takes a deep dive into the NBA in particular and he has a really interesting way of looking at statistics. And I just have been loving the stats that he pulls up. Um, a lot of them have been centered around Jordan recently because of the last dance. But I have found um, watching videos about Steph Curry has been really powerful to watch how he's changed the game of basketball so dramatically in the seven seasons that he's been in the NBA because it's gone undergone a dramatic change and you can follow that through statistics and Jimmy high roller does a really good job of showing that. And yeah, it's also um, just a great channel to, for you all to check out. So, and I hope that you check it out too, Bob, you should watch some Jimmy high roller. Yeah. I've watched a teeny bit that you show me. I really like it. I love, I love statistics and I love like, you know, Moneyball type of analysis of sports. And so it sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one more thing that I have to mention too before we sure. go on. Yeah. I think we've like touched a, a little bit here and there about gender, um, but like gender is like incredibly important to talk about when we talk about sports. And um, like uh, two of my friends, and I want to give a shout out to Freeze and Iana. Um, have really helped me think through gender and um yeah so one of the things i mean is like the way that male sports are 
the dominant um and like you often never hear about women's sports or they're they're like a sidebar and mm-hmm. i've contributed that to that in my sports fanaticism and i i i really want to break that um and um you know i had such a great time watching the women's world cup last summer and um i also even remember dad was starting to break that he really enjoyed watching the like the the women's buffs team um and but yeah there's also that you know like you and i have talked about this that like it's called like the team like the men's team's just called the team and then like the women's team is called the the lady whatever's um and you know so that's like blatant sexism within the the naming of it and we really need to break that and so i also want to name that uh ria butcher's podcast three three swings um is a really good one that takes a critical analysis of gender um and yeah there's so much more to say um connected to you know gender sexism um heterosexism transphobia connected to sports but it's also a place for a, a lot of transformation um and possibilities one one thing that i've thought of is i'm on a sports team uh, like a soccer team and mm-hmm. there's like a it's like men and women's team so there's a you have to identify e- as either like a man quote man or quote woman um so it it reproduces a a gender binary that is you know puts non-binary people into like you know a bind um and that was supposed to be like progressive like having a men and women's team so that was progressive like a mixed now, team, right yeah yeah but now yeah. exactly now it's become oppressive and so i'm interested and i've had some thoughts about oh yeah we, we could evolve this but i think the team like that league needs to do some thinking around itself so that that's another thing that i am super interested in talking with people about yeah yeah i feel like we didn't really get into gender very much in this show and we do want to do a few more sports shows in the months and years to come because sports are so important and it'd be fun to just talk about sports that we like and why we follow it and to sort of do a sports Gavin show, but also it'd be interesting to do a sports gender show because recently I've taken to the, um, like you said, like college sports teams, it's the buffs and the lady buffs, right? So for CU Boulder, it's the, the Buffaloes and the lady Buffaloes. And I've started flipping that as much as I can. So I started calling them the gentle buffs and the Buffaloes and <laughs> just to try and break the the norm of saying like yeah the men's team has no label it's like no they're the gentle buffaloes now and the women's team is now the buffaloes so that's what i've been doing trying to but it's i mean it's so ineffective and i feel like it definitely we need to take a bigger critical lens as to like what does what does it even mean to be inclusive in the sports realm and why is there such an emphasis of, on winning? And how can we, like on a personal level, take, take some of that away? Because that is, that is one of the biggest flaws of sports. It's like all that matters is winning. And it makes this competition into winning. And it creates this 
importance on winning and it creates this bigger larger culture that we all can like identify with when we were in high school what it meant to be a winner you know and oof, it's like just hearing some of that stuff brought up a lot of interesting things for me yeah, but, uh, that, yeah. that's deep down there for me you know yeah definitely and i'm i'd be super interested in our like our audience if anyone has you know like is interested in sports we'd love to like have you on the show yeah if you're if you're interested in talking sports with us that'd be a blast to do so um yeah should we end with a final thinking about sports and dystopias oh yeah yeah i was thinking about like how do sports show up in like dystopian novels and and movies and i had a realization of like you know typically it's like it's so cookie cutter actually it's like the same script and in dystopias sports are portrayed as like a gladiator sport where you know kind of like mad max in some pit um you know this this like new sport that didn't exist in our time but like there's this new sport and i think you put it in a good way like it's like people have like sticks or like you know, they play football with sticks now and like whack the hell out of each other. Um, yeah, and, or they play and basketball how... with rollerblades. It's like the exactly. exact same sport, except you add one tool. Exactly, and that seems to be like the script of how sports show up in dystopias. Um, and I did a little research on it. There's a movie called Blood of Heroes, and they invented exactly what we're talking about. This game called Jugger, which is you know exactly one of these sports and it actually has taken off and is a real sport now um but it's a quintessential example of these like bloodbath sports and i think that you know that's fine but like dystopias could do more with sports and it you know they should get out of that box where sports are only gladiators so yeah i'm interested in you know finding sports show up in dystopias in more interesting ways than that so, Bob, um, I say we end with a, a little bit of tuned in. I know we talked a lot about of where we're getting our sports fix, but I'd like to mention a podcast that I've been listening to. It's um, it's a podcast that's started by a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, actually, Teague O'Connor and Glenn Etter. And it is a podcast all about, God, mutualism is the word I'm looking for, like how organisms have evolved to be uh, mutually beneficiary and it is they're just so smart and funny and at some point i think we'll probably have to have glenn and teague on the show because they are they're doing a great job up there and it's a show worth listening to did i even say what it's called it's called a single acorn oh that's a great name yeah um, anything that you want to mention on, in the tuned in section, Bob? I guess I'll just uh, repeat, echo what I already said that I, I really like, and this will be, you know, if, if people were into today, then they'll, I think they'll really like Rhea but Butcher's podcast. It's called Three Swings. I know her, their like most recent um, episode was on um, like structural racism within baseball and, uh, a, a really important episode so yep cool well a couple of a couple more podcasts for you all to download so get after it and i guess we'll just end by giving our 
contact info, you can reach me at DavePeachTree at gmail.com. And we haven't had any tweets so far, but I'll mention it again. BMAZE19, B-M-A-Z-E-19. How about this? First person to tweet at Bob, I'm going to send a patch in the mail to. So get after Bob, and first first one there gets a patch of a whale. Oh, make sure to tweet your address so we can send it to you, okay? Uh, the whalers. <laughs> oh, man. Hartford. All right, Bob. <laughs> well, I guess that will do it for us. So from all of us here and thriving in dystopia, we'll see you soon. Awesome, Dave. So good. And yep. Catch you next week. Love you, Bob. Love you, Dave. Hey, y'all. Bob and I want to just take a second to thank you all for lending us your ears for the show. It really does mean a lot to us from the bottom of our heart. We also want to thank the artists for making our show a little bit more beautiful. The intro song is a song called In Heaven by Drake Stafford. The outro song that you're listening to right now is a song called Comfort You by Culla. And the thumbnail is done by the prolific and enigmatic Joe Shine. Thank you all. And we'll see you next week. Hope you have a good one. Comfort to you, comfort to you. We ain't got nothing to do with where you are. Also this week, you heard the song Synchronized by the artist Ho. Comfort to you, comfort to you Has got something to do with who you are And high of love, and high of pain And high of sorrow And do you know that we are Ain't too far from the truth So I go